0: Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. And today, we're going to be talking Manhattan. And Johnny, we got Fred Peters,
1: the one and only
0: CEO of Warburg Realty. We love some Fred Peters, and and Forbes columnist, by the way. Forbes columnist. Um, he's just he's in his office. He's wearing pants. He's (laughs) he's not he's not in jogging pants anymore. He's in his he's in New York City. I mean, we're not we're getting back, John.
1: That's right. (laughs)
0: that's about as retro as you can be these days office and pants i mean i mean seriously what is that (laughs) but fred welcome thank you for giving us your time today and i I just want to start out real quick at a high level all right we're gonna go high level but um the the market's really hot The markets on fire activities up prices are starting to come back but prices aren't really shooting up i know the market activity is going up but like there shouldn't be confusion between the two. And I want you to just just to explain and go into that, please. Okay, here's my feeling, guys. Um, I actually think the
2: reason that activity is way up is precisely because prices aren't shooting up. I think it took a while after the pandemic Uh, The first wave ended and we moved into a slightly more open landscape for the market to find its place price-wise for this era that we're now in, which isn't post-pandemic. I mean, God knows with 500,000 American deaths, you certainly couldn't call it post-pandemic but in which market activity is permissible and is um, really, as you said, going through the roof. I think one of the reasons it's going through the roof is because the market did find its level at which buyers were comfortable. So I think we've all gotta be very careful moving forward that we don't interpret what's going on as a signal that we should be raising prices out of the buyer's comfort zones because I don't think it would take too much to shut the market down again.
0: Yeah, and I mean I'm so glad that you that you mentioned this because a lot of agents are telling me that they have buyers that feel like they missed it. And I and I try to explain to them, you know, off the record I'm obviously not with their client privy to that, and say, listen, the activity's up, the market's not dislocated anymore. That's what's going on. There's a marketplace, there's liquidity. Right. Yeah. Prices may be kind of bottomed and are coming back, and maybe they bounced a little bit off of that fear window. That yeah. fear window. And that's the key. It's like those buyers that expected to come in here and get that fear trade, that's not there, but the discount is still there.
2: The discount is still there. And you know, Noah, I always like to say to my agents, You always see the bottom of the market in the rear view mirror. Nobody ever really knows when it's happening. And because precisely of what you mentioned, which is the fear window, the truth of the matter is when the biggest discounts are available, most people, no matter how much they puff themselves up about how they want to buy right at the bottom, they're too scared to buy right at the bottom. And most people are actually waiting for a sense that value and as you said, liquidity are returning to the marketplace before they feel comfortable jumping in. They should be jumping in now because I definitely can't promise that we won't be seeing an uptick in prices six months from now. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a great point. And, and let me ask you this, Brad, because it looks like, you know, there's there's been a bit of confusion as to the sort of the source uh, of the recent uptick in activity and I think you you hinted at the idea that we've signed, we finally hit that level and kind of kick things off. The other school of thought is that it's just delayed demand. We had, you know, months and months of nothing happening because of the lockdown and that 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 sort of delayed demand from the spring and fall finally hit and that's what we're seeing. And I'm curious how you slice and dice that and what your opinion there is. You know <laughs>
2: I have another thing I always like to say to my agents is that New Yorkers as a group have a limited tolerance for delayed gratification. Um, And I do think there is some of that. But what I I actually think it's a little more complicated than that, John, because that suggests that we're just going back to where we were before. And I don't believe that's the case. I think that what really happened is that people freaked out. And it took, I think the price, look, the price mitigation is certainly a factor, but I also think that it took people a while to recommit to New York, to really be clear about the fact That this was where they wanted to be, which is why this whole renaissance of activity um, has been driven so much by New Yorkers. You know, we aren't seeing most of the buys being from Europeans. Or from people in California or Vegas or wherever. This has really been a renaissance of New Yorkers recommitting to their city, seeing an opportunity. And also, and I think this is a point that's made a lot, it's certainly not original to me. Once you spend three months at home, never going out, It's really clear to you what works and doesn't work about your home. And since I think we're probably never going back to full office capacity of the type we had before, the home office all of a sudden really is meaningful. You know, I think people are just rethinking what they need out of their primary residence in order to have it work
0: for them going forward. And that's a great point because things are changing. Like we're, we're in it and things are actually changing. Um, Let's go over that inventory. Um, When you look at the inventory out there, Fred, I mean, you have a lot of, you know, you have a lot of wisdom here. You can go back on a lot of markets um, in history and you can. (laughs) (laughs) You're not old, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But when you look at the inventory today and you look at the market forces today and how it's affecting deals that are being done, what are you seeing?
2: Well, that's such an interesting question, Noah, because as is so often the truth in the marketplace these days, it segments out very substantially both by price and by location. Um, As you guys have noted in the past few weeks in your weekly update, um, way the most transactions are still taking place in the lower marketplace. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what is it? Something like 75% at 2 million and below numbers, something like that. Yeah. Um, So I think actually in those markets and the million and below market in particular, uh, you're seeing competitive bidding all over the place because that inventory is getting siphoned up. And that's someplace where buyers actually we are seeing situations in which when our buyers are winning an apartment, uh, they're paying two, three, four percent over ask. Um, you know, when you're looking at a one bedroom for six fifty, a one bedroom for seven fifty, we're seeing that particularly in Brooklyn, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Manhattan marketplace, and especially as you move up into the higher price ranges, there is still inventory, and there are still purchases to be made in which you negotiate. And I think, you know, as was evidenced by everyone in your fabulous interview yesterday with the new development guys, There's a lot of opportunity in some of those buildings. There's a lot of opportunity that there is a depth of inventory at the higher prices. Um, At the lower prices, one of the really interesting points the guys made yesterday is that we're going to be going in the next couple of years into an inventory crunch for the $5 and under condos. So the buyers who were looking to get in in that market really ought to be thinking about acting now while they still have choices.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting So And, it, yeah. you, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the under $2 million market, and especially Brooklyn. I mean, once the markets reopened, it really was Brooklyn that took off like a rocket, basically kept, picked up right where it left off and is just over and above where it's been in the last decade. Uh, Manhattan, of course, the under $2 million market was the first out of the gate. Bit slow, but fi- the rest of the market finally caught up. But the question I wanted to ask about that, and you mentioned that some of your your winning buyers are paying over ask, is, you know, if we look at this from a seller's point of view, how long would you expect with this sort of pickup in activity, especially under two million, like, to be on the market these days?
2: Well, it, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's all about how you price up. It. Mm-hmm. It's just all about how you price up. Um, Because as you guys have noted, the longer the -the on-the-market period stretches out, the deeper the discount at which the seller finally has to sell it. So the trick is, you know, pretty much every listing, and this has always been true, um, has its moment of access to pent-up demand when it hits the market. And if you price in such a way that you appear to be receptive to that pent up demand, you're going to get, and if you price, so you lose that period, that period
0: ain't never coming back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why Um, it's good to have a general understanding of whether or not the market is actually active today versus say a month or two or three months ago. Because now we can say it's not a liquidity problem, it's not a market problem, because clearly the buyers are there, like the buyers the are, are
2: being signed. Yeah, no, you know? you're absolutely right, Noah. The buyers are there, but the buyers are doing their homework. You right. know, the, the fact that we have so much more transparency now in the marketplace means that buyers really have the ability to do their homework. And yeah. they're challenging their agents. And the agent says, This looks like a really good buy to me. And the buyer says, Yeah, but one just like it, two floors higher in the building, closed a month ago for 5% less than this. So why am I paying this now? You know, you have a level of sophistication and research in the buying public, which, especially given that buyers, know what the last year has been like. It's really up to the agent to make a compelling case for what it makes sense to offer as kind of in a range. And probably in my experience, you never want to try to push a buyer too much out of his or her comfort zone. It
0: just always comes to back to bite you in the you-know-what sooner or later. Hey, Fred, quick question. I'm sure John yeah. has a question, but I want to squeeze this in real quick. Um, sorry, John. Um, is there a correlation in your experience with your top producing agents in your office? Um, so is there a correlation between production, consistent production, and those agents giving a consistent message to their, to their circle? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely, because I think the top agents, no matter where you are, are top agents usually because they have a finger on the pulse of the marketplace and are capable of explaining it. I think the other thing about more experienced agents, which is critical to success over the arc of time, is to not be afraid. You know, you can't be afraid to tell either your buyer or your seller the truth. I love it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I'd like to I'd like to pick up on that because it's sort of similar to my question. you mentioned sort of the Sci SIMs philosophy, which is, you know, an educated consumer is our best customer. <laughs> and a lot of times consumers do the research and they find the comps, they find what they're looking for, but they're they're missing one or two things that really sort of you know complete the picture. And, and I'm wondering if you can share some, some of these thoughts um, you know, with the agents out there. What kind of things do you need to, to stay on top because your consumers are going to get it wrong?
2: You know, one of the things that I really, you know, I kind of feel like I'm embarrassed to be quoting myself so much. But another thing I really like to say to my agents is that there's a big difference between information and knowledge. And the internet provides information, but the buyer who believes that he can make a smart decision based on information alone is not the buyer who's likely to end up making the best possible decision for himself because context is everything in our business. You know, I like to reference the fact that 740 Park, the fanciest building in New York City, many people would argue, is right next door to 750 Park, a post war building with low ceilings, studios, and one bedrooms. You know, this is the reason why eye buying is never going to work in New York, is because context is everything. There isn't um uh, an algorithm which is going to enable you to understand a price based on location or based on square footage the and you know so and when it in an environment in which an a building and a C building can be right next to each other, you really do, make better decisions with the guidance of somebody who understands the marketplace, who can say, this sold for this because of these reasons. It was in great condition. You can't see it in the photos, but it actually just clears the building next door. Whereas this apartment in the same line, one floor lower, has three rooms blocked by the water tower. Um, yeah. There are just so many nuances. And I think that's what we provide. That's the knowledge we provide,
0: which information alone doesn't give you. You have to know how to interpret yeah. the information. And young agents should just should think about this when they're doing their daily lives. Because I mean, you, you take a bigger picture of of where you're gonna be in five years from now. And and you build that wisdom, you build that knowledge over that time by paying the right attention um, to the right things as you do them. Otherwise, you're gonna spend years doing things and you're not gonna collect that information. And you're gonna- No, I think
2: that's exactly right. No, and actually one of the things that makes me crazy with the many of the agents, my agents deal with today is that they've basically been on a team and only been involved selling units in new development. So at that point, you actually know nothing. Right. You know, you have no idea how to talk to a buyer. You have no idea how to talk to a seller. You have no idea how to put together the kind of a board package you're going to need not only in a co-op, but also in an older condo. There's just an awful lot of experience that I feel younger agents aren't getting because the way the market shakes out these days and sooner or later, they're gonna need it.
0: Yeah, very, very interesting. Well, we're running out of time. This has been great. Um, I just wanna end it um, with with perhaps any tips that you can give to agents um, in, in regards to maybe um, what you're seeing at the deal table um, in terms of, you know, like difficult situations and what are you seeing out there that maybe they can get ahead of um, or anything yeah, I else? I have a
2: couple of things that I would say. The first is my uh, my favorite piece of advice to give to agents is shut up. Most of us talk too much. And it doesn't really give us the opportunity to hear in depth what the person on the other side of the table is saying. Because for both sellers and buyers, the experience of being in the marketplace is an evolving one. And uh, I mean, with a buyer from the moment you first meet them to the moment you sell them a property, their experience is evolving. Their understanding of what's going to work for them is evolving. And if you aren't listening, you miss that. So, that is my overall first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is know your market, sit at home. And just do research, just scroll through the inventory, open the e blast so you look at the property and you see what its pros and cons are. You really, the more you know the market, the more credibility you have, and the better you're able to talk about um, where the market is. Third, read the paper. You've gotta be able to put whatever you're advising buyers and sellers to do into the more global economic context of where the country is. This is a major asset for almost everybody. And they wanna understand it not only as their home, which obviously is of first importance, but also as an investment. And you've got to be able to contextualize that investment in terms of the larger marketplace. So the more broadly you educate yourself about the economy and the marketplace and what's going on in it today,
0: the more successful you're going to be. Listen,
1: know
0: the local market that you're transacting in and be aware of what's happening in the world around it's it's a constant evolution
2: yes it's always that's exactly right john it's always changing and you've got to stay on top of that you just you need to sound like you could be their financial advisor as well as their real estate advisor you know As we all know, the big thing about market transparency is that it has ceased to make us transactors in just information alone when access to listings was gated. So now it really is about how much really solid advice you can bring to those transacting in this marketplace and right. if you can't provide much then you're
0: not worth the paper you're printed on yeah yeah Ag- agents need to understand that that the knowledge and the transparency together will ultimately bring the bid and the ask closer and and that's what makes the deals happen that's exactly um, right. when when buyers and sellers don't know what's going on in the market they're they're confused it's cloudy out there there's no one telling them um, that's when the bid ask spread gets wide and, and, we're and that's our job that's our job might-
2: otherwise there's no reason to pay us
0: I love it. All right. This has been great. Um, Fred Peters, um, CEO of Warburg Realty. Thank you so much for your time. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We're both from Urban Digs. This has been Talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.